0: Well, happy Mother's Day. Well, that was pretty weak. <laughs> Guys, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> All right. So good to see you here this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians 3. We're going to be in verses 12 through 16, as Kristen read it this morning. And um, we're in this series called Consume. That's why I have this fire in back of us, this idea of this consuming desire, this consuming passion to, to really know Jesus. And that's what what Paul is talking about, throughout this letter, he's trying to get this church to understand the biggest thing, the most important thing, is to know Christ, to be like Jesus. And and that's, he's continuing on in this conversation. We took about an eight-week break to talk about the cross uh, till Easter, but now we're back into this letter, this important letter in Philippians i uh, super excited. Uh, next week, what I'm going to do is share a little bit about what our sermon series plans are for the rest of the year, because we got some of the things planned, I'll be sharing that with you next week, so I hope to be able to give you more details on that. Uh, but this idea of consumed is something that can happen to all of us. You don't just need to be consumed with God. There's a lot of things that can take priority in our lives. One of the things that my wife and I, Liz, got consumed with about six years ago was good Coffee. And we went to Seattle. We we uh, we went there for a sabbatical. We were there for a month, and we spent some time there. And there's one thing that you got to know about Seattle is they do coffee amazingly. And and what I learned there is is I learned when I was there the difference the between coffee and espresso. Now before you know I'd go to Starbucks. And I'm like, give me something sweet with caffeine. That's the that's what I would ask for. But but there is a difference between coffee and espresso. And espresso, if you've never really had, is so much better than coffee. Can I get an amen? And Anybody who's, anybody like, like love coffee in this, in this audience? Okay. If you, no, it's really interesting. About half, the, half of you raise your hand, everyone in the first service raised their hand, which goes to, they're the early birds. They're the ones like, I need the coffee. But uh, but if you don't know what the difference between espresso and coffee, is coffee is just grounds up coffee beans, kind of looks like dirt, and you drip water through it, and that's what makes the flavor of coffee. But espresso is a little bit different. You grind up the coffee bean into a very fine powder, and then you compress it into a puck, and it's kind of like a circular thing like this. And and what you do is you heat up water so that steam filters through that puck. And the whole idea is you get one, you get smaller molecules of water with smaller molecules of, of, uh, of coffee, which creates a a deeper flavor, a more robust flavor, a richer flavor, a better flavor, in my opinion. And that's why it's so, it's so concentrated. That's why you mix espresso a lot of times with milk or some other things. But, but when we, when we went to, uh, Seattle, we started discovering all this, these great roasters and all these, these great flavors. And we're like, oh, did you we let's try this? And then we'd buy this coffee, and then we'd try this place. And we just became consumed with finding the best roast, the best grind, the best place to make the perfect latte. It, it was just something we pursued. And throughout the years, we have we have discovered. New coffee beans and new roasts and new places like, oh, we got to try this or someone tell us about that, and then we'll go travel. And I was at my, my brother's house over Christmas break and I discovered a coffee roast from a roaster that is my absolute favorite. It, the name of it is perfect. The name of this roast is called Heavenly Delight. Can you get any better than Heavenly Delight? And when I had this cup of, I had I made this latte at my brother's house. I said, "Well, what is this? Where did you get this?" And she's like, "Oh, this is a, a roaster. It's up the road in Durham." And So you know that that became a priority of, of ours. And so whenever we go to Durham, my wife and I, we buy a five pound bag of heavenly delight and take it to our home. And you see, see you see what happens with cons, cons, being consumed with something. You orchestrate your life around it, it becomes these, this, this, of uh, this priority that we pour our lives into. And coffee is just one thing. There are things that, that can consume our lives, take priority. We all of a sudden we start influencing things that we do, where we drive, where we spend our money on. And there, there, that's what Paul is wanting to talk to us about in his letter this morning. That there's this idea, he gives this idea in the very first, in the passage above that Dan spoke on last week that there, there's a there's a singular priority that he has and in verse 10 it says this that i may know him in the power of his rec- resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death paul had a singular priority and that was to know jesus and if there's one idea I want us to have this morning is that our singular priority, if we're going to have a singular priority in our life, it should be to know Jesus. Knowing Jesus should be the singular priority in our lives. Now, here's the question that I want to ask. When Paul writes this, he's a veteran of 20 years following Jesus. He's planted churches. He's in prison for Jesus, now, now, a lot of times we read these passages and we just, because of our, maybe our familiarity with them, we just think that Paul says, hey, to know Jesus is really important for me. But maybe we need to think about this in a fresh light and in a fresh way. Because here's the question we should be asking after we read this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. What's the question that we should be asking? Doesn't Paul already know Jesus doesn't he already have a knowledge of him? And here's what I think is the, the greatest, one of the greatest struggles for us as people who want to follow Jesus and people who are learning about God is as this many times we can be consumed with knowing about Jesus without knowing Jesus. We can be people, excuse me, <coughs> we can be people that go all, do all kinds of Bible studies. Spend our time you know, reading the Bible. We can, we can uh, immerse ourselves in theological study, reading books, listening to podcasts, coming to church, hearing sermons. And we, are, we, we, we can put our, our, our lives into this religious setting where we are learning about God. We're learning about Jesus. We could debate atheists. We could explain the mysteries of the gospel. But there is a fundamental difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And for Paul, he was saying, I want to know him. I don't want to just know about him. I don't want to just know of him. And here's the here's a real struggle. Some of you who are younger in, in the room this morning, who have been raised, you know, maybe, maybe you're just come to church because mom and dad say it's Sunday, it's time to go to church. And you're like, okay, mom and dad, we're coming to church. And, and and there's gonna be, for those of you who are younger in this room, there is going to be a moment in your life where you will have to decide to, to know Jesus personally more than just know about Jesus because you're coming to church with mom and dad. Very important that you understand that that's a decision that you will have to make to own your own faith. But if that never happens, what will, be, what will happen is we will just be consumed with knowing about Jesus, growing into our theological knowledge, but never really understanding what it means to relate to him in a personal, powerful way. And that is what Paul is talking about here. So today, as we look, look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, we're going to look at the priority of knowing Jesus, the pursuit of knowing Jesus, and then the patience with knowing Jesus. That's what we're, that's what we're going to look at this this morning. But, but in verse 12, okay, this is, there's a chiasm here in this passage. I'm not going to go into, I'm not going to put the text on the, but just trust me to know that there is a chiasm here. And in the middle of this chiasm is one phrase that Paul gives. In the middle of the chiasm, it's in verse 13, it says this, but one thing I do. Paul talks about a lot of parallel ideas, and we're going to get into those parallel ideas. But the, the main thing that he says, that there's something, he says, but one thing. There's one thing that's important to me. There's one thing that that I'm I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing, and that is I want to know Jesus. If you look at verse 12, it says, "Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect." See, Paul never thought that you could arrive at a certain spiritual level. He never he never got to the point where he was like, "You know what, I." I know a lot, of I, I know so much stuff. I know, I know I could, I mean, I'm writing scripture. I mean, I, I know the Bible. I know God. But one of the things that Paul makes very clear is that even though for two decades he's been following Jesus, for two decades he's been serving Jesus, what he was letting everyone know, is the, the recipients here is, I haven't arrived. He's saying this for a number of reasons. Number one, and that is this, that that there was a heresy going around in those days. And and the heresy taught something like this, that you can become perfect. That if you do the right things, you will will attain to a level of perfection morally, spiritually. It was tied in some ways to, to, to Gnosticism because the Gnostics believed that uh, there was a secret knowledge that was passed down, and there were Christian Gnostics. There were people that, that, that were infiltrating the church, that were going into the, these churches like Philippi, and were saying, listen, yeah, yeah, you heard about from some of the disciples about what Jesus said and what Jesus did, but there was a secret knowledge, there's a secret wisdom that Jesus passed on to only a select few, and we, we received it. And so if you give us some money, we'll share with you this secret wisdom, but here's what will happen. It will help you take to the next level of your spiritual life. You realize people still do that today. You know, give us some money, buy this book, take this seminar, you know, come to this church and you will get to the next level of Christianity. Paul is saying we we, we never get to the place where we say, okay, I've arrived, there's always something more for him to learn. There's always something that, that, that he's discovering about Jesus. And there's one thing that should be consuming his life: that knowing Jesus was the greatest priority in his life. Now, now there's that fr- there's something about that phrase, but one thing. And, and, and in the text here, in Philippians 3:13, it says, but one thing. I do. That word, I do, they added that. That should be in, in italics. It's just really two words, but one, but one thing. And there's one other time in scripture where those two words come together singularly to make a point of emphasis. And it's something that Jesus said in Luke 10. If you want to turn to Luke 10 really quickly, it's really cool. when you. I, I believe that Paul, when he was writing those two words, had this story in mind. I love it when you see the Bible connects, when you see people use words and phrases in one book that relate to a story in another book. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, this is what the the drive of my life is. But if you're familiar with Luke 10, Luke 10 is is part of the story we're going to read is a story when Jesus goes into this, uh, this, this village called Bethany and he meets these two women, Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha are disciples of Jesus. They love Jesus and they invite Jesus into their home. And so and so when they do this, whenever Jesus would go into a home, he would teach and he would instruct and he would be there and do Jesus's thing. And, and as Jesus is there and he's teaching and he's talking to the crowd that's in Mary and Martha's home, Martha is busy trying to make sure everything is taken care of, the meal and the preparation, and she wants to be a good hostess. And, and, you know, hospitality in that culture was of utmost importance. If you had a guest in your home, you would would move heaven and earth to make sure that guest was taken care of. But if we enter in midway through the, the, the story here, because Mary sat there at Jesus' feet, learning from him trying to soak in everything that Jesus was saying. But look at verse 40. He says, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Isn't it great when you can go to Jesus and tattle on someone? I mean, is that not the greatest Jesus juke of all time? Jesus, can you please tell her to do something? And I'm sure Martha was kind of going in the room like <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> like trying to get Mary's attention like come on, I need some help. And she goes to right to Jesus and says, "Hey Lord, can you tell her to do this?" What does Jesus say? But the Lord answered her, "Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing, but one thing. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now, now listen, I, I don't believe that Jesus was saying that you you need to choose between serving him and, and knowing him. Because I believe if you know him, you will serve him. But it is possible for us to serve him without knowing him. And what Paul is saying in this passage, but one thing that I do, I, I want to be the guy for my entire life that sits at the feet of Jesus. I want to be the guy who wakes up every single morning, and that's, I I, I want to learn from him. There's always something more to learn. And listen, all of us in this room, guess what? All of us in this room are learning something about Jesus, are learning something from Jesus. Jesus has all of us in a class right now. If Paul says, my singular priority is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, guess what? You are in a class right now. No matter what you're going through, God is wanting to say, hey, I want you to know me. Jesus is saying, I want you to know me in my goodness. I want you to know me in my sovereignty, I want you to know me in my compassion. I want you to know me in my discipline. I want you to know me in my power. I want you to know, He's, everything that you're going through right now, he has you in a class. You know, when I was in middle school, I went to Abington Heights Middle School in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, and we had this, uh, we had this thing in our middle school we called specials. Now, I don't know if they still call it that. It's just weird. It's a weird, you know, when you get older to think about it, it's just a weird name for things, but you know, what's your special? And and specials were you would go to these unique classes for about six weeks or six to eight weeks, and, and you would learn certain things. And you had five categories. You had you had industrial arts, and industrial arts is where you learned things like architecture and and woodworking, and metalworking, and electric, and electronics, and all those things. Then you had arts and crafts, and you would do papier-mâché, and painting, and sculpting, and I mean, all. And then it was music, and then there was physical education, and then there was home economics, where you learned how to sew and cook, and and so everyone had to take these various classes. And so every six to eight weeks, it was you would rotate. All right, now I'm in this special. I'm learning this skill, and and. All along the way, you learn, and and the whole idea was giving you these kids, all us kids, experiences to say, "Man, I really like that," or "I, "I learned a lot from that." But but here's here's why I bring that up. God has you in a special right now. He has you learning something from Him about Him, and He wants you to come to His feet. And he he wants you to understand that what you're going through, the circumstances of what you're going through, are not just to conform you into the image of Jesus. It's to teach you about who he is. I want to know Jesus. And if, if you were to look at the experience you're going through right now through this lens, it would change your attitude and your perspective about what's going on in your life. You know, think about what Paul says. I want to know Jesus in the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of His sufferings. Now, listen. There are many times I have prayed the first half of that passage. Jesus, I want to know You. I want to know You in the power of Your resurrection. And I forget the rest of the verse. I'll be honest with you. I don't. I when when it says I want to know You in the fellowship of Your sufferings. I don't know if I want to know that. Because suffering is is hard. But one one of the things I believe that that Paul is doing is he's taking the two greatest moments of Jesus' existence, the death and the cross and the suffering of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and saying this, you can't have one without the other. And some of you who are going through suffering right now, some of you are going through some deep, deep, difficult things. But here's what I know, that when you go through the sufferings of Jesus, you will discover the power of Jesus as well. And so this idea of knowing him, it was, it was consuming him. And here's what we have to ask ourselves, what is our priority? What's the singular priority? What's the one thing? What's your one thing? What's the one thing that you get up in the morning and say, this is what I care about? What's the one thing that you wake up and you move your schedule around to make sure you do this? What is the one thing in your life? For Paul and the challenge to us, it's to know Jesus, to sit at his feet, to know him personally. So first, it must be the priority. Secondly, if it is a priority and it is the one thing, you know what we will do? We will pursue it. It's gonna be the pursuit of knowing Jesus comes after the priority of knowing Jesus. Look look again what it says in verse 12. There's there's a word here that Paul uses two times to sandwich the one thing. And this word, he is translated, press on. Let's, Let's look what it says in verse 12. Not that I've already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus pressing on. This, th- th- there's, there's, this is the Greek word diako, and diako is this word that means to pursue. It means to, to, to go after with desire. It's also a word that means to persecute. And it's really fascinating that Paul is using this word to describe what he is doing in his relationship with Jesus. Because further up in the text that, that Dan preached on last week, in verse 6, was it say? As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He, he's this, it's the same word that he's using to describe to press on. What Paul is saying is, I used to pursue my own agenda, but now I've got a new mission. You see, when you come into, the, into contact with who God is, when Jesus grabs a hold of your life, your agendas end. Remember he had a sermon about three months ago about our own agendas dying. And Paul's is reemphasizing this now. But why is that? How, why, why, why do we have this desire to now have a new agenda? Look what it says in verse 13. Brothers, I do not, I'm sorry, verse 12. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, some translations will translate this take hold of, but it's this word katalambano, which means to seize, to grasp. What Paul is saying is I am trying to grasp this understanding, this way to, to know Jesus. I'm trying to grasp it for myself because you know what? Jesus grasped and took a hold of me. See, there's a lot of things that will distract us in life. There's a lot of barriers that we'll face in life. But when we understand how much Jesus has pursued us, we will pursue him. Does that make sense? So so there's this idea of pursuing Jesus because he's pursued us. But what does it mean to press on? What does it mean to press on? He explains it here in verse 13. But one thing I do. Now, here's what's fascinating. He says, but one thing, and then he gives two things. There's one thing, but the one thing is split up into two things. And the two things are this. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, the verbiage in verses 13 and 14 is is our words and verbiage? You know the verbiage he's using is race language. I'm talking running a race. It's it's a Paul does this a lot. There's at least four times in his letters that he illustrates the Christian life with running a race. He does it in 1 Corinthians nine. He does it here in Philippians chapter three. He also does it two times in his final letter to Timothy in Timothy. Chapter 2 or 2 Timothy, chapter 2, and 2 Timothy, chapter 4. Paul loves this picture. He loves this idea. If you can, it's one of the perfect illustrations that Paul believes is you can equate your life, your Christian life, with a race that you run. It will help you understand the different, different dimensions of your life. And he's using the same kind of language here straining, or forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. That word straining forward it means, it means kind of to lean into the, 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 the finish line. But here's what he says. If you want to strain ahead, to run, to pursue, to press on, you can't look behind. Because there's a couple things that happen when we look behind. When we look behind, you know what happens? You slow down. It happens all the time. There's this great moment in a in uh, uh, Chariots of Fire, it's a movie, it's an older movie, but this guy is trying to teach this guy how to run, and they're about to run, in the ni- I think it's the 1924 Olympics, and he pulls up a, uh, uh, one of those slides, and he shows this one guy at the finish line, turning his head, and because this runner turned his head, he lost out on the gold medal. He's trying to teach him, keep your head straight. So, so when, we, when we look behind us, we start slowing down. The other thing, you know what happens when we look behind us? we start going in that direction. Do you ever drive in your car and you're looking at something and you go this? Whoa, whoa, right? When when we are distracted on what is ahead of us, we will stop, not only will we be distracted, not only will we slow down, but you might stumble. Because if you're running this way, try, try this, all right, this afternoon. Get a long stretch. Of, try running forward and looking behind you. There's a pretty good chance you're going to fall down, because you're not going to see where you're going. And so, so one of the things that, that we've got, he's saying, I want you to, I want you to keep moving forward. I, I want you to forget what lies behind you. Now, why was he say that? He's saying that because it's it would be very easy for us to live in our past. Now, let, let me just say this: this what this. Phrase does not mean because this phrase has been misinterpreted and misapplied in some damaging ways to people. And maybe you're one of those people. When he says forgetting what, what lies behind, what Paul is not saying is if you have been harmed, if you have been wronged, if you've been traumatized, if if there's something that someone has offended you, just forget it. Just, 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 hey, just bury it. No, that's not what this means. It doesn't mean that when, when something, when, when harm is done for you, that you bury it and you just don't want to think about it anymore. That's not the application of this passage. No, we do have to go back and we do have to visit the, the harm and the wounds of things that have been done to us and by us. It's, it's not saying I w- I would, you know, live in non land and pretend that the past never happened. What he's saying is very specifically. Don't let your past successes and don't let your past failures dictate what you do today. Because one of the greatest distractions that will happen in your life is if you start letting your successes in life, man, look at all the things I've done. If there's one person who could have said, man, look at what I've done, it's Paul. Paul could have said, I've planted churches, I've I've served Jesus, I've preached all over the world, I mean, I've led, I've led so many people to Jesus. I'm writing scripture. I'm settling down and entering into Christian retirement. I've done it. I've done it all. Now, I don't know what the Florida was in those days, but that's what, you know, Paul's saying, I'm not, do, I'm not going there. I'm not going to spiritual Florida, people. I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not looking behind and saying, man, look what I've done. I can ease up and I can coast. It's not what he's talking about. The other thing is he's not letting his past failures dictate what he does in the present. He, he could have let his past just cripple him. Oh, I, 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 I I've messed I've, I've, done, I've made so many mistakes. I've messed up so much in life. I've hurt so many people. I, I, I just can't tell you how many things I wish I would have done differently. And if that had become his consuming idea of how he thought of himself, what what would he have done? Nothing. You see what the danger of looking in the past and letting either our success or failures determine who we are and what we do, it keeps us from pressing on today, that that we still have a mission. And yes, God works all, all all the things in our past, whether it's successes or failures, we can, we can praise God that he is, he is bigger than our failures. But you know what we can also do? We can look at every success and say, that has the fingerprints of God all over it. I can't take credit for it. There's always a reason to press on. The, the, the danger, Another danger is, is this idea of activity with no relationship. That we can be doing a lot of things in, in the Christian world, kind of like Martha, but we're not really doing it with any means of knowing Jesus. Something very interesting that just came out, and in, in, uh, there's a study that that came out about a month ago that tracks Bible usage in the United States. And here's something that they found. In fact, after they did this study, they had to go back and and redo their data all over again because something was so felt so off. But they 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 ran it through twice, and they have found a very uh, really tragic reality in our nation today. Now. What it does is it measures Bible activity in our country. And what they consider someone who's Bible engaged is someone who opens up, cracks open the Bible three to four times a year outside of church. Now, I don't know about you, that's a pretty low bar. Okay, anyone who opens up the Bible at least three to four times in a year, they consider Bible engaged. And for the last 10 years of our nation, has hovered around the, the high 120s, 130, 130 million, 127 million people they would they consider Bible engaged. They ran the same study this year, and the number was 103 million. It dropped precipitously that the number of people that have disengaged from the Bible dropped by 20-some million people in one year. It's not like they saw this steady decline. It's always hovered around the same number for about 10 years and then just tanked. And they're trying to figure out what is going on. Why is this happening? And I think there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. But, but here's the reason that I fear. Here's the reason I think, as Christians, we'd be very, very careful of, is that when we approach the Word of God, when we approach the Bible, we approach it with a very me-centered perspective. I'm open up the Bible because I, I need I, I need some wisdom. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a jam. I'm in a pickle. I need some answers. I, I'm having some trouble. God, I need a verse today. Now listen. Can God give you a verse for the day? Yes, absolutely. Can God, is is in this book wisdom to help you live your life? Absolutely. Are there answers in this book that should help you in life? Absolutely. It is all those things, but it is way more than that. The word of God is the revelation of God, which means it is us getting to know. If we want to know who God is, if we want to know the person of Jesus Christ, we come to the word of God. My, my fear is that for so many people, they have come to the Bible looking for answers, and whether they found the answer they wanted to or not, the center of why they opened up the Bible was themselves. And maybe that's why people are, are stopped opening up the Bible, because they stopped finding the, finding the answers that, that, they, that they're looking for. But here's what I know, that, that when we open up this word, we should be opening this word because we want to sit at the feet of Jesus you know these got we got these posters around our room you know let us hear from you today through your spirit and through your word that's that's a prayer that we've been challenging and when we walk into this room do we have an open heart and an open mind that we are going to pursue Jesus and, and, and that's it's a great prayer to pray but I, I wish if we could add a little caveat to it, God, speak to us today through your spirit and through your word so that I may know you. That I may know you. That, that the whole point of it all is to know Jesus. You know, we can have all of these barriers. The barrier of pride, the barrier of, of condemnation, and unworthiness, the barrier of just activity with no relationship. Maybe it's the barrier of apathy. I just get up and I, I don't know. Listen, let's go back to verse 12. Paul says, I'm, I'm, I am I'm. want to take a hold of this. I haven't attained it yet, but I'm pursuing it. I'm pressing on because the prize, in verse 14, you know what the prize is? The prize is Jesus. The prize, the reward at the end of the race of all of these things, the reason why he's pressing on, the reason why he's straining ahead is because he wants to know Jesus more. And there's always something more to learn. And there's always another uh, reason to grow. And that's why he's doing it. So it's, it's it's pursuing Jesus. What's Is there anything right now going on in your life that's keeping you from pursuing Jesus? Maybe it's a sin in your life that you're holding on to, and it's keeping you from pursuing Jesus. Maybe there's another priority that's above knowing Jesus that's keeping you from pursuing knowing Jesus. Maybe it's another person in your life. Maybe it's your work but, but, but we've got to look at our lives and say, am I, am I pressing forward? Or am I letting barriers and, and stumbling blocks get in my way of running this race, straining ahead, pressing on for the prize of knowing him? So, so not only do we have the priority, but we have the pursuit of knowing Jesus. And that leads us to this final point, the patience. The patience with knowing Jesus. The patience with knowing Jesus. Now, verse 15 Paul ends this, this, he could have ended in verse 14. If you think about it, he could have ended this thought with verse 14, and we never would have missed 15 and 16. But he says something. He adds an idea here that I think is so important for us. He says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes verse 15 16, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you only let us hold true to what we have attained. Remember, now I said there was, there's a chiasm here. And and in the middle was, but one thing and in between that was pressing on, pressing on in verse 12, pressing on in verse verse 14. But there's another layer here that we're looking at. And it's this word that means to, to be perfect or mature. And I, and I talked about this a little bit in verse 12, but if, if you want, to, here's what I want you to do: I want you to underline the word "mature" in verse 15. Underline that word "mature" in verse 15, and then I want you to underline. Go up to verse 12 and underline the word "perfect." Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. The Greek word "telios" is it's the same Greek word in verse 15 and verse 12. One way it's translated per- "perfect," and the other one is translated "mature." So, so here, what Paul is saying is, hey, I have not already attained perfection. I, I, haven't, I haven't gotten to the point where, you know, I, I know everything there is to know about, about Jesus. I still, have, I still have so much to learn about who Jesus is. I want to know him. There's another level of my relationship that I can grow in. I haven't, I haven't attained to this level of I've already arrived. But then he says in verse 15, but if any of you are Teleos are perfect or mature. I want you to think in this way. So he says there's, there's a way, there's a mature way of thinking that leads to action. And you and I both know this. We will never change our behavior before we change our convictions and beliefs first, right? We have to change our convictions and beliefs first that leads to behavior. But here's what Paul is saying. And I think this is so important for us. This is so important for us as we are running this race. We are going to stumble and fall. And there's going to be times by which what we know to be true and right and good, our lives don't match it up. You realize that? There's going to be times that we, you know, do you ever have to do this yourself? You do something you know you shouldn't do. Oh, I, 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 should, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have been that way. I shouldn't. And, and you tell yourself, I maybe say this to yourself, I should know better. I should know better. And you know what? We do. We all know better. If we have this way of thinking, and that word think, if you want to circle that word think, that is a major word in this letter. Paul uses it four or ten times in this four chapter book. 10 times. It's the same word that he uses in chapter 2 when he says, Have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Or earlier on in chapter 2, Let us have the same mind. Let's have the same kind of thinking. He says, I want you to think this way. There's a way of thinking that we can have, but we have not yet perfected it. And if that is you, and it is you because it's all of us, you know what I want to say to you this morning? Have patience with yourself. Sometimes I think what we do is when we get in those moments where we stumble or we don't run this race the way we should or we don't pursue knowing Jesus the way we should, we beat ourselves up and we condemn ourselves. And we just, you know, listen, one of the things that I think is so important for us to remember let's go back to one of the very first verses that we read in Philippians and studied that Paul makes this beautiful promise he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. I think it's it's so important that we leave here today with showing patience to the process of knowing Jesus. You need to have patience with the process. And you need to have patience with yourself. I'm not saying get apathetic or get lazy, but what I think the enemy loves to do is that when we stumble in our race, he wants to keep us on the ground. He wants to condemn us. He wants to, he make feel that we're failures and just stay on the ground because you can't run this race. You've tried it a million times and you keep stumbling and falling, just stay down. That's not the way of God. God wants us to keep getting up, to keep pursuing, to keep running the race. That, that there's always, will never arrive. There's always gonna be there's always going to be something to learn. We're always learning. We're always growing. There's always another special for us. There's always another lesson we need to learn at the feet of Jesus. And it's important that you understand that. So so if you're in a class right now that you felt like you've failed before, just know that there's going to be a day when you pass this class. That's the promise of God. He's going to help you do this. But but not only do we have to have patience with ourselves, I think we need to have patience with others, because look what he says in verse fifteen. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He's saying, listen, if you don't think like this, if you don't, if you don't have this mind that man, my, my my pursuit is to know Jesus, to really sit at His feet. And you're like, man, I just, that's what I want. Listen, there's there's gonna be people in your life that don't have the same desire or have a lesser desire than you do. And it's gonna frustrate you. But Paul says, listen, if this person knows Jesus, is a follower of Jesus, guess what? I don't have to worry about convicting them. You know, anytime you try to do the work of the Holy Spirit, you will fail miserably. There's only one Holy Spirit and it's his job to convict. It's not yours, you know. You you get your Bible out at night. You know your spouse hasn't been doing their devotions. You get your Bible out at night. You're like, I'm just gonna read the Bible for a while. (laughs) So good, so good. Oh, yes. I'm gonna write that down. Why aren't you opening your Bible to read the Bible? Right? We 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 project these pressure. You know, hey, you you better pursue Jesus the way I'm pursuing Jesus. Because let me tell you, I'm pursuing Jesus pretty well. And when I look at you other guys, you're stumbling and tripping and falling. But I'll tell you what, I'm pursuing Jesus. So get your butt into this race. That's not your job. You you can point to Jesus. Yeah, you can can pray for those people. Listen, but you are going to be so limited. You can't make anyone think the way they should think. You can't make anyone run that race. They have to do it for themselves. And one of the greatest things that lessons we can learn is learn how to have patience with other people. Patience with our children. Patience with our spouses. Patience with other family members. Patience with our coworkers. Patience with our neighbors. And one of the guys I've been discipling, his name's Justin, and we've been meeting for about a year. And and when I disciple a guy, we, you know, teach him how to read the Bible, teach him how to pray, teach him, um, you know, just a lot of just Spiritual disciplines, but you know, just about life. We talk about just areas of life and wisdom, and parenting, and 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 marriage. And uh, but a few months ago, a couple months ago, we were working on sharing our faith. And so I, I challenged him with this idea, saying, "Listen, let's." And he was saying, "This is something I want to do. I want to do better." And so I said, "We talked about three guys in his life that he had a relationship with that he had had spiritual conversations with in his past." I said, if you've got that kind of relationship where God has opened a door in the past, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to take the next 40 days and I want you to pray for each of these three men 40 days in a row, just focusing on prayer. And I got a text from him a couple weeks ago. said, Ben, you'll never guess what happened. On day 42, one of my guys called me and we talked for two hours about God. It was the most amazing thing. God, I mean, just, I, I've never had a conversation like, like this with this person in my entire life. And he, God was just doing, but this is what he said. Is, it wasn't just praying for this person where he saw a change. He saw a change in himself. And, and I think one of the greatest prayers that we can pray for people, that we, you know, you know, there are these people in our lives that don't think this way. And Paul had the faith that say, you know what? God will reveal that to them. God, God, God is big enough. God is strong enough. God is patient enough. God is long-suffering. Like, God can reveal that to that person. God's the one that can help that person get to where they need to be spiritually. But one of the greatest prayers I, I've been praying in my life is this. God, I, I pray that this person would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, that would be transformational. God, pray for, pray for Joe, that they would encounter Your Holy Spirit, and then when they encounter Your Holy Spirit, it would change their life. Because I know this: when you encounter the Holy Spirit, when anyone encounters the Holy Spirit, it is life changing. Paul said, "Listen, Jesus is the one who who reached out. He's the one that took hold of me, and none of us can none of us can do that for anyone." We have to let God be God and God be the one who's going to grasp people's hearts. He, that's the job of him and him alone. We can pray for it. We can teach on it. We can point to it. But you can't do it for anyone. God has to be the one that grasps people's hearts. He has to be the one that has to encounter people through his Holy Spirit. But let me tell you this. When he does, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. Let's put our faith in that and not in our spiritual nagging to get our will done. Let's have patience with knowing God. Application. A couple questions and then we're done. Number one, what is your one thing? What is your one thing? What's the singular priority of your life? Is it to know Jesus? Jesus. You know, I don't know everyone's heart condition in this room. I don't know where you are in your relationship to Jesus. But I do know this, that that Jesus wants you to know him. He wants everyone in this world to know him. And if God is this distant being to you, or if God is someone that you know about but you don't know personally, I want to encourage you and, and tell you that you can know Jesus personally today just like Paul did, just like someone who who sat at Jesus' feet, you can know Jesus personally. Jesus wants you to know him as as your Lord and your Savior. And I want to let you know, if you have a question about how to do that, how to place your faith and trust in him, to know him, to know him personally, to know him deeply, come see me after the service. Or we have a prayer team that's out in the lobby that would love to talk with you. But if you do not have a relationship with Jesus or it's not the relationship is not what it should be take care of that today talk to someone let us pray for you let us answer your questions let us help you in your doubts because what what Jesus what I know about this is Paul was simply pursuing Jesus the way Jesus pursued him and Jesus is pursuing you right now if you have questions about you know, I'm not sure what God thinks about me. It doesn't matter what you think. I'll tell you this, God loves you. And Jesus wants you to be in his family. That's number one. What's your one thing? Number two, what are those barriers that keep you from pursuing Jesus? What are those barriers? Are, are you are you the one that, are, are you constantly looking behind you, getting distracted with your past? Are, are, is it the barrier of just activity You're like Martha, doing all kinds of service, but you're not sitting at the feet of Jesus. What's the barrier in your life from pressing on to know Jesus more? And then number three, who do you need to show patience to? Who is that person in your life? Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's a family member that you're so frustrated with that you need to hand over to God. God God's going to take care of that. God will reveal that also. I I am not responsible for making this person think the way they should think. God's responsible for that. And I can entrust God with this person's life and in their faith. What does God have for you today?